what does it mean to be a human being? Uh, are human beings merely highly evolved animals? Do humans have any more value, any more worth than other creatures in the animal kingdom? If not, well, then, I mean, yikes, right? Uh, the implications of that are enormous. If human beings have no more value than cows or dogs or cats or reptiles, uh, if he, human beings do have more value than other animals, as we all seem to intuitively know, then, then why do we have more value than the other creatures in the animal kingdom? What, what gives us more value? And more value in what sense? You know, in the sense of the sum total of our chemical components in, in monetary terms, uh, which happens, by the way, just to be a little over $200. Uh, and that's even factoring in inflation. Um, but some animals are valued more highly because they are endangered. But human beings are not an endangered species. So if human beings are more valuable, why and in what sense are we more valuable than, say, apes or whales or cats or dogs or even gnats and mosquitoes? Or are we, as a growing number of people seem to think, even less valuable, worse than animals, a blight and a cancer on the rest of creation, or a virus uh, inherently destructive to our environment, to, to nature, and to one another? The answer to these questions are of ultimate importance to the human race. It, it determines how we fundamentally view ourselves and other people and the rest of creation, not just how we view them, but how we treat them, whether or not we treasure and respect them, or use them, or abuse them, or, or even destroy them. So this is an important topic dealing with some really important issues, which is why we decided to do a series on this, a series called Human, to explore these issues and to seek answers to some really significant questions. Questions really very few of us actually take time and mental energy to directly ponder and wrestle with and try to answer. Very few of us actually do this in any kind of structured or disciplined way. Uh, and yet, yet all of us have pondered these questions and issues at least indirectly or even subconsciously, and we have all formulated opinions and arrived at answers, perhaps in a way that not, we, can't, we can easily not in a way that we can easily explain or articulate, uh, but most definitely in a way that determines our choices and our behavior and our treatment of others. For example, here's a somewhat infamous quote from a high school student from, from several years back. The human race isn't worth fighting for, only worth killing. Give the earth back to the animals. They deserve it infinitely more than we do. Nothing means anything anymore. If you recall your history, the Nazis came up with a, quote, final solution to the Jewish problem. Kill them all. Well, in case you haven't figured it out, I say kill mankind. Now, this young man had not formally studied philosophy. He hadn't consulted with experts in the field of psychology or sociology or anthropology. He, he was not a, a religious person. He did not go to church. He didn't, didn't explore theology. And yet he had, as we all have, we, he had as a mere teenager formulated an answer 
to the question of the value of human life. And his answer had tremendous consequences. It determined his actions and behavior in a catastrophic way. After writing these words, this young man and his friend went on to murder 12 of their fellow students and one teacher before killing themselves at Columbine High School. See, we have all arrived, whether we cognitively realize it or not, we've all arrived at some kind of answer to, to these ultimate questions. And whether we realize it or not, the answers that we have arrived at determine how we see one another, how we treat one another, and how we treat the rest of creation. How did this young man arrive at his answers to the, these ultimate questions? Probably the way most people do, just by allowing thoughts and ideas into our minds without really examining them, weighing them, particularly without uh, examining them under the guidance and wisdom of God. I mean, we, are, we all are every day, all day, we are inundated with thoughts, views, ideas, opinions, values, judgments about fundamental issues and questions, probably today more than ever before. And we should really consider the possibility that what happened at Columbine and the many similar things that have happened since is indicative of a significant shift in attitude on a cultural scale about what it means to be a human being with grave consequences. Now, I'm not suggesting that, you know, one of us here this morning is, is at risk of becoming a mass shooter, but, but failing to examine and weigh the myriad of ideas, thoughts, views, opinions, values, and judgments that we are inundated with every day, failing to examine them through the lens of God's wisdom and, and guidance, it cripples us and inhibits us from laying hold of all we were meant to lay hold of as human beings. And failing to do this confines and restricts us to our mere animal nature. Animals lack any such ability to reflect, to ponder, to think rationally, to ask questions about the purpose and value of life, and to explore the answers. Only humans are uniquely uh, equipped to do that. And so that's why we decided to do a message series titled Human. It's all about what it means to be a human being. Now, the first week, which was last week, served as kind of an introduction to this series, and we talked about the, the wonderful, glorious reality that human beings are, in fact, not just simply highly evolved animals. We are beings with traits, characteristics, and abilities completely non-existent uh, in, in other animals. And, as, and beings that possess an inherent value and worth far, far, far above the other animals. And somebody might be thinking, but Jim, human beings are a part of the animal kingdom, are we not? We are mammals, which is a class within the biological kingdom, anim animalia. In fact, yourself, as you have used the phrase other animals when referring to humans uh, several times, acknowledging that you yourself are in fact, you are acknowledging the fact that, that uh, um, we are all part of the animal kingdom. And, and yes, you're right. Uh, yes, human beings, from a purely biological perspective, are part of the animal kingdom, biologically. But there are traits and characteristics human beings possess that are not merely biological or physical in nature and cannot be explained just by, you know, through biology and, and physical sciences. Um, 
but they're supernatural in nature. They're, they're spiritual. And in fact, the field of quantum physics might be giving us a small glimpse into this other dimension that human beings seem to have the ability to interact with, freely with, while that the other animals don't seem to be able to interact freely with. More on that maybe later in the series. But, but here's the point. We all have inside of us a deep sense that we are more than mere animals, creatures who simply follow their instincts and impulses, whose sole purpose is just to survive, reproduce, supply something to the ecosystem, and then die. We all know intuitively that we were made for more, don't we? We have this deep sense inside of us, and maybe perhaps especially so during difficult times or maybe times of failure, or defeat, we may, that may heighten this sense that we were made for more. But we seem to all possess that deep inside of us, even though we might be a little fuzzy as to what the more is that we are made for. More, more, more what? We're made for more, but more what? More ice cream. <laughs> I, I was made for more ice cream, chocolate chip cookie dough, you know. More video games. A lot of young people. Definitely more video games. I was made for more video games. More Monday night football. I mean, the list, of course, I'm being a little ridiculous here. None of that really rings true, does it? it? That's why you all laughed at that. Because even when we are blessed to find ourselves in a position where we can completely satisfy our longing for ice cream or video games or Monday night football, even when we are all pretty much able to satisfy every longing, more than enough food, more than enough material possessions, more than enough, you know, physical pleasure. You know, even when humans can, can enjoy and experience things that are even beyond what they were naturally created to experience. Things like, for example, you know, drugs, recreational drugs that are able to deliver an, an exhilaration and, a, and euphoria that exceed the limits of what the brain was designed to handle. Even when human beings are in a position to have access to all the things their animal biological nature could ever desire, there's still this sense left within us that we were made for more. We were made for more. And you hear this all the time, particularly from people that have been down that road, who have been in such positions to satisfy their every longing. I think I used this quote not that long ago from the great theologian Jim Carrey, who said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Jim Carrey's left understanding that even though he can do whatever he wants, have whatever he wants, it's not the answer. He was made for more. And he's right. Of course, most of us Raider folks remain unconvinced. We're like, yeah, well, I'd like to see that for my, I'd like to find out for myself. <laughs> but what if you're not primarily a biological creature? What if the more you are actually made for has little or nothing to do with your animal nature? What if the more you were made for is primarily spiritual in nature, and maybe this is what Jesus meant when he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and of course, it's unlikely Jesus refer, was referring specifically to bread when he said that. It's likely he was, he was actually referring to our physical all of our physical desires and appetites. Men and women do not live merely by satiating their natural appetites. And we kind of figure that out along the way. I'm sure you've heard people say about their sex drives, you know, it's, it's just biology. 
It's just biology. You can't really help it. Nobody can help it. It's just biology, and biology going to do what biology going to do. <laughs> you probably heard that. But, but what if you are actually far more than just your biology? What if human beings are not merely natural creatures, but are actually supernatural creatures? Which leads to another question. What if we are, in fact, supernatural creatures, but we were to stubbornly insist on behave, behaving as mere natural creatures? Perhaps that's why even when our natural cravings are satisfied, we still have this deep abiding sense that we were made for more. Psalm 8 says this, When I consider the heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are so mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. And then the psalmist concludes with the words, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And you can see how this psalm echoes Genesis 1, which we looked at last week. You know, he created us in his Imago Dei. Imago Dei, we learned last week, was Latin for the image of God. He created us in his Imago Dei, in his image and likeness, and then he put us in charge of all of his creation, and he crowned us with glory and honor and gave us an assignment. The assignment was to rule foundational to being a human being is this idea that God has entrusted us with something. He has put something under our care. He has given us a trust. Another name for this is responsibility. Now, thinking back to Genesis 1, the very beginning, what rules had human beings been given? What commands? I mean, the Ten Commandments actually don't show up for another couple thousand years. He has one command, and at the end of Genesis, he hasn't even given that command yet. The, the command, you shall not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, and that's it. No other rules. That was the only rule. But then he says to them, before he even gives that command, before he gives any command, he says, be fruitful, multiply, populate the planet, subdue the earth, rule over the fish and the birds and all the living creatures. Manage creation, he says. See, before there were any rules, any commands, there was responsibility. This is paradise. And in paradise, men and women are given responsibility. And it was good. Some people don't like the word responsibility. Sometimes I'm among them. It's not a happy word for most of us. But in paradise, before sin and rebellion came along, Responsibility was good. It was a sharing of, a participation in God's very own glory and honor. It was the more we were created for. But it was the more that also was corrupted and defaced and degraded. And, and the more was that we also sadly discarded and tossed aside when we decided to go our own way. Here's the point. We have been entrusted with the responsibility for the more that we were created for. The fact is, we are happiest when we are fulfilling our responsibility as human beings. 
It's what we were created for. And yet there is something in us that tends to want to avoid responsibility, isn't there? And when we avoid responsibility, we are avoiding the very thing that we were created for, the very thing that we were made for. It is the more we were created for. Think about it. Have you ever met an irresponsible person that was happy? <laughs> I've met a lot of people who are great at making the case that that's not my responsibility, but they never say that with a smile. Listen, you have a role to play in the more that you were created for. And not just the more in the sense of more success, you know, more, more respect, more control, more stuff, you know, all the things that kind of involve our, our natural nature, our, our animal nature. You were created, maybe it is inclusive of those things, but you were created for more than all those things. The more you were created for is a more that you can lay hold of in this life, but also carry with you into eternity. It's spiritual. It's heavenly in nature. It's eternal. And every day, you have a role to play in the more that you are created for. In fact, can we just say that together? But, but let's insert the word heavenly in there just to kind of drive home the point. Every day I have a role to play in the heavenly more I was created for. In fact, I'll put it up on the screen there so you can say it. But let's say it together. Every day I have a role to play in the heavenly more I was created for. Can we say, just say that one more time? Every day, I have a role to play in the heavenly more I was created for. This is such an important concept, but it's a difficult one for some of us because a lot of us have been taught this, that, that it's all God. God does it all. It's all a result of his grace, and there's nothing I can do to participate in, in it or add to it, nothing I can do to improve on it. It's all God and God alone. I have no part or no role to play in any of it. But that ignores a lot of the things that the scriptures teach us. Listen. Since the very beginning, God has done the heavy lifting. No question about that. He did the work of creating the universe. He created the light that makes things grow, the sky that provides the rain, the ground that provides a place for seeds to grow. He created plants, vegetation that can contains the seeds. He created the seasons. He thought it all up, all the laws of physics, how everything would work. He created it all, and he saw that it was all good. And then he turns to the human beings that he created and crowned with glory and honor, and he said, now, go and grow something. Grow some things. And we're like, you mean I got to do everything? And God's like, no, no. Uh, just put the seeds, the seeds that I created, just put them into the ground that I created and sprinkle a little water that I created on them every day. And then watch how the light I created and the seasons that I created causes the seeds to grow and to produce more, much, much more, many more times for you. See, we're sometimes tempted to question why God put us in charge and why he gave us things to do in the first place. Why, why couldn't he have just created a paradise where we didn't have to do anything, right? Just lay around and watch God do everything, watch him create and grow things. But he wanted us to share, to participate in his nature, in his imago day. He is creative. He creates life and beauty, and wonder, and he wanted us to be his partners with him in this loving and creative work, and it was good. 
He wanted us to be participants, co-laborers, partners with him in the more that we were created for. And in doing so, express the dignity, the value, the virtue he created within us. But then when we rejected the Imago Dei, when we rebelled against him and chose instead to bend the knee and to embrace our animal nature at the promptings of a talking reptile, the consequence was that toil and hardship and adversity entered the world. Creation, nature, would no longer fully cooperate with us as it, as it had in the beginning. And in fact, it would even turn on us from time to time. And yet our life would continue to be intricately tied, connected to it. It's just that now, after sin and rebellion, now subduing it and ruling over it would be hard. Especially when it came to subduing and ruling over our own animal nature. After Adam and Eve sinned against God, God explained to them with a broken heart. He said, cursed now is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. You were made for so much more. And, and this did not change that. The, the, the sin did not change that. We're still made for more. But the more we were made for would now come through toil and struggle and by the sweat of our brow. And God has not abandoned us or given up on us. In fact, he would one day do the ultimate heavy lifting by becoming one of us and entering into our toil and struggle and our hardship and our pain, even taking the whole curse upon himself by dying on the cross. And he told us plainly that, yeah, our life on this earth would still be difficult. Women would still, you know, experience pain during childbirth. Eking out a living would still be toilsome and often painful. And we would still all return to the dust from which we came. But now the dust of the earth would no longer have the final say. The dust of the earth could no longer be able to hold us because, because of God's great love and mercy. The more we were made for, the more we were made for would still be right there in front of us. The invitation to carry the Imago Dei and be participants, co-laborers, partners with him and the more we were created for is still right there in front of us. But yeah, right for now, in this world, in this life, in this fallen world we call planet Earth. Life is hard, isn't it? To borrow a quote from the famed classic motion picture, The Princess Bride, life is pain, and anyone who tells you differently is selling something. But of course, in God, it's way more than pain and way more than toil. And in God, the pain and toil produces something Something more, something very much more. French philosopher Simone uh, Weil once said this, the extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for it. That's so profound. Paul and Barnabas were famous for saying to the early Jesus followers, uh, as they would go into a city and, and, and plant a church and then encourage the Christians, sometimes staying for a year or two years on end, 
when they were departing to go to another city, they would always leave them with these words. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Life is hard. Then there's no getting around it. It's hard for all of us. And when we expect life not to be hard, it becomes harder. Interesting, isn't it? When you expect it to not be hard, it just kind of intensifies the hardship. But when we embrace the reality that life is hard and just expect it to be hard, strangely, it begins to be not quite so hard anymore. When we accept and even embrace the hardship that is unavoidable in this life, it becomes much easier. You cannot escape life's hardship, but you can leverage it. As a being created in the Imago Dei, as a being created in the image and likeness of your creator God, you have the power and the ability to leverage the hardship in your life, something unique to human beings. You have the choice to leverage the hardship and pain in your life if you will choose it. Here's perhaps one of the very most important things human beings are able to do that animals cannot do. You can choose your hard. Have you ever heard that saying? You can choose your hard. <laughs> this, this is what it means. Every, the, you're going to have hardship in life. It, exercise is hard. But being fat and having no energy and just, you know, and, and destroying your health, that's harder in the long run. Choose your hard. Marriage is hard. Getting a divorce and watching your kids struggle because they don't have a father or mother in their life and, and not thrive as they could otherwise, that is harder. Choose your hard. Living within your budget and making wise financial decisions is hard. Being in debt up to your eyeballs and possibly losing your home in foreclosure and going bankrupt is harder. Choose your hard. Forgiveness is hard. But living with resentment all your life and bitterness and broken relationships is harder. Choose your heart. Life is going to be hard. It's unavoidable. But as beings created in God's image, you have been given the power, the ability to make choices about the kind of hard your life will be. There's a saying, life offers you a choice, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The pain of discipline is measured in ounces, while the pain of regret is measured in tons. Listen, it's never too late to turn the regret in your life into discipline. To turn your regret into something that teaches and instructs and transforms you. To learn from and redeem the mistakes of your past. Or as Simone Veal said, to discover a supernatural use for your suffering. It's never too late to do that. And hard doesn't have to mean joyless or miserable. <laughs> it doesn't. Exercising is hard. Climbing a mountain is hard. Building a building is hard. Growing a garden is hard. But there can be great joy and tremendous fulfillment in all of those things. And if you read what the Apostle Paul wrote, and what the Apostle Peter wrote, and, and James, the, the brother of Jesus, and Jesus himself, when you read what they wrote, they all say emphatically that you can learn to find joy. Learn to find joy and fulfillment and great peace even in the most difficult of hardships. This is what being made in the image of God can do for you. 
James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come into your way, any kind come into your way, consider it an opportunity for what? For great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Look for reasons, excuses, ways that you can turn what appears to be a negative, adverse, unpleasant situation. Look for ways you can extract joy from that. It's something you can learn to develop. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, you will have arrived at the more you were made for. The Apostle Peter writes, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. Don't be shocked that, you, that life is hard. Why do we, you know, we carry about sometimes as if we expect life to be easy. And when it's not easy the way we expect it to, then we're upset because something is wrong. He says, no, nothing's wrong here. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as, some, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ, co-workers with Christ, partners with him in his suffering, so that you'll also be partners with him in his glory. He goes on to say, so that you will have wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Jesus himself said, I have told you all these things so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and hardships. But take heart, be of good courage, cheer up, have joy, because I have overcome the world. Listen, we all face hardships, struggles. We all suffer. You may be convinced your struggle, that you struggle and suffer way more than the average person, and you may be right. And there are many others who would say that they struggle and suffer way more than you do, and they may be right. And then there are those who endure incredible suffering and hardship, and yet they are so marked by joy and contentment and, and an unexplained peace that they hardly seem to be suffering at all. God wants you to help you become that kind of person, one of those people that has just found joy even in hardship in life. See, this is the door that opens up to the more that you were created for. Jesus told many parables or stories in an attempt to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God, the more that you were created for. Uh, he said, I'll just summarize these. He, he, he told a story about a farmer sowing seed, and some of the seed produced way more seed than what was planted, while other seeds barely sprouted or didn't sprout at all. And it all came down to the cultivation of the soil, the, the hard work of getting rid of the weeds, the rocks, the plowing up the hard ground, and, and all that. He told another story about a landowner who needed workers to work his field. So he went to the marketplace and found a bunch of people just lounging around doing nothing, Jesus said. So he invited them to go work in his field promising they would be paid well at the end of the day. And so they went. He did this at 9 a.m., did it at noon, again at 3 p.m., and then he did it again right before quitting time where, where he found these guys in the marketplace and says, why, haven't, why have you been standing here all day? And they said, well, nobody's hired us. He said to them, go work in the field. And so they went. And when they, at the end of the day, they were all shocked to discover that they would all receive the same wage. 
all of them would receive a full day's pay, even those that showed up at five minutes to five. <laughs> uh, the wonderful, glorious grace and generosity of God. He told another story where a nobleman gave each of his serv three servants, he gave them a certain amount of money, not the same amount of money, uh, uh, not equal amounts, but an amount that was, quote, according to their ability. And he told them that he was going away, and when he returned, he expected them to have increased what he had entrusted to them. You see, all these parables illustrate that we have been given responsibility, an assignment, a role to play in the more that we were created for. Every day, you have a role to play in the heavenly more that you were created for. Every day, you have a role to play in the heavenly more you were created for. God created every one of us with incredible potential. He crowned us with glory and honor. He endowed us with gifts and talents and abilities, virtues that he wanted us and expects us to cultivate, to develop, and to grow for our flourishing. What a tragic waste it is when such awesome, perhaps even supernatural potential is neglected, denied, buried under a rock, or just tossed aside in, in favor of satisfying or accommodating our mere animal nature. God's created us for more, so much more. C.S. Lewis uses the analogy of an egg. He says, he says an egg is not created to remain an egg, is it? It's created for so much more, Right? If it remains an egg, it has completely missed its purpose. An egg was created so that it would eventually become a creature who could fly. Now, somebody who doesn't understand that process might argue that that would be extremely difficult to take something like an egg and, and, to, and to turn it into a bird. And they would be right, especially if the egg had a mind and a will of its own, as we human beings do, that could resist this whole process. But it would be far more difficult for a bird to fly while still remaining an egg. In this life, human beings are like, kind of like eggs. We're, we're in an embryonic form of what we, we will ultimately become. Or the Bible you know, often uses the analogy of a seed. We are becoming something that we are not presently, something far more glorious than we are right now. And that process of transformation is a difficult one and often painful, rarely easy. But the point C.S. Lewis was making that we cannot go on indefinitely just being an egg. He says, we must be hatched or go bad. Those are our choices. We must be hatched or go bad. See, the Bible tells us we are becoming what we will be forever. And this life is, is the cocoon of our transformation. God has done all the heavy lifting. But he has given us the dignity of choice, of free will, the ability to resist his transformative work or to embrace it and participate in it and to find delight in it and joy in it and help others to find delight and joy in it. This is what it means to be human. This is fundamental to what it means to be a human. Every day, you have a role to play in the more that you were created for.
Uh, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you. Thank you for the privilege that you have invited us into. And Lord, because we have held you at arm's length and turned our backs on you and disobeyed you, that whole glorious potential in us has been distorted and twisted and become something that we resist and reject and, and, and don't want to cooperate with. Father, have mercy on us, for we know not what we do. But I pray that today you would begin to open our eyes just a little bit. Uh, the reality is, Lord, that life in this earth involves pain, and it's unavoidable, and it involves hardship. Would you teach us and help us, Lord, to to look to you for the supernatural um, possibilities that are buried in the hardships that we endure. Would you, would you teach us, Lord, as Jesus, you yourself lived out, uh, would you teach us how to love and embrace with joy all the negative things that come into our life in a way that honors you and reflects your image and your glory, and in a way, Lord Jesus, that will transform us into the glorious beings, your sons and daughters, that will reign forever in eternity. And thank you, God, that you did all the heavy lifting. <laughs> Jesus, you died on the cross. You came into this world and took on our pain, our toil, our struggle, took it upon yourself, and then put to death our misdeeds in the cross so that we could experience a resurrection to a glorious eternity. Thank you for that, Jesus. In your name, amen.